0: Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we are also archived for your binge-listening pleasure. We are now a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes, so anywhere on planet Earth or the environs, you can reach us day or night. I'm really pleased to welcome back to Off the Record a a good friend and sometimes guest who I'm going to give an elaborate introduction to. Uh, This is Max Richman, uh, who directs the National Committee to Preserve, Protect, defend, expand, and ensure access for all to Social Security and Medicare. That's a slight expansion on what Max has been doing for years. He and I knew each other when I was a congressman. We worked together to preserve, protect, and defend Social Security and Medicare. We now face significant challenges, and I wanted to bring Max on to talk about the state of affairs uh with uh his work and what's going on in this presidential season max welcome back to off the record
1: well thank you very much paul i'm i'm not sure all those words describing the organ- our organization will fit on my business card <laughs> but it accurately describes what we do it's, it's
0: really more important than ever. You know, Max, I'm, I'm speaking to you now, and we're just a few short days away from the uh, primary in New Hampshire. We are flooded with presidential candidates. And one of the questions I have, and I'd be happy to have your perspective, is what have you been hearing, if anything, from the candidates about Social Security?
1: Well, very little, uh, unfortunately. Uh, after the first debate, I think this is the seventh or eighth debate, after the first debate, when we heard nothing, no questions about Social Security, uh, we wrote to the moderators for the second debate. Again, zero uh, questions on Social Security. Uh, and then we did again that again on the third debate. And then we started writing to the candidates, uh, asking them to... Uh, bring up social security if uh... if they were not asked by any of the moderators we didn't get much uh... from that either uh... the the last uh... uh... debate uh, was be- before the one that's up there where you are uh, this friday i guess was in des moines a couple weeks ago and um, i uh... wrote a letter uh, co-authored with my the uh, chair of our organ, advisory board of our organization, former Senator Tom Harkin, who I, I know you know well, and we uh, in that the uh, Des Moines Register published our letter where we urged the uh, moderators to uh, ask a question about social social security, and it never happened, uh, which is really disappointing because this is a program that. Uh, about 65 million people in our country are beneficiaries of Social Security, and about 170 million participate paying payroll tax. So it has a huge impact on a lot of people, and I'm hoping uh, we'll get a question uh, this time. Now, it might, it might be that the flap uh, following the uh, Des Moines debate between Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden about who said what in the past about Social Security might uh, prompt uh, a question? I'm hoping that it does. Uh, we've written to the moderators. We're um, uh, doing uh, everything we can to promote that question.
0: Well, if ever there were two candidates who ought to be interested in Social Security, it's Bernie and Joe. I mean, uh, they uh, they're they're both eligible. I don't know whether either one of them is taking social security but they uh, i think they should understand the importance and impact of social security on so many so many folks in new hampshire especially with an aging population Uh, it's 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 a really important it's an important question and an important issue and and certainly in the past at least in my experience it's been you know kind of like you've got to. You've got to check the box to talk about Social Security, the challenges to it, and 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 what your plan is for dealing with it. And uh, it better come up in this year's presidential debate. Maybe, hopefully, it'll come up on on Friday.
1: But well, I hope so. Um, uh, just if I can respond to sure, that, sure. Uh, y- you make it. You make a couple of excellent points. Uh, Uh, So uh, Senator Sanders, let me put it this way, nobody in the Congress has a longer history about uh, talking about Social Security or has been a stronger uh, proponent of improving, expanding uh, benefits and ensuring the program is solvent many years to come. And uh, at the same time, uh, Vice President Biden, and for that matter, Senator Warren, and uh, Senator Klobuchar. If you go to their websites, everything they're pretty pretty closely aligned on Social Security. Uh, so, what I've been trying to uh, promote is that these candidates should, uh, instead of trying to find distinctions that go back twenty or thirty years between them and what they might have said to uh, focus on the difference between what all the candidates want to do with social security and what uh, president trump seems to be doing and um, i hope we can talk about that a little
0: sure what's going on what is the what, what does the president of the united states the current occupant of the white house who's been impeached by the house and just acquitted by the senate on impeachment what is he what, what's he after
1: well, you know, it's hard to pin down, isn't it? Uh, you know, when he, when the president ran in uh, 2016, uh, I, wa- I think I watched all those primary debates, and there were 17 candidates, Republicans, running for the nomination, and only one said over and over and over, I won't cut Social Security, I won't cut Medicare. But what we've seen since he's been in office is uh, changes being proposed that would dramatically hurt the Social Security program and, of course, uh, repealing the Affordable Care Act would have serious negative consequences on the Medicare program. On Social Security, the president has, um, just in his budget, his recent budget that's up uh, being considered, uh, has proposed cutting uh, Social Security by about $25 billion, uh, reducing the administrative uh, uh, expenses that the the Social Security Administration uh, relies on to keep the program uh, going and to respond to uh, the needs of uh, beneficiaries. There's a rule that this administration has just put out that would uh, uh, seriously uh, hurt uh, those who are on Social Security disability by... Requiring them uh, them to go through a, a much more rigor- rigorous review process, many of them will end up dying before they get their uh, benefits approved, uh, and. It seems to be. Uh, well,
0: let, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no. from listening to the State of the Union, it seems to be um, the the pattern for this president to claim progress when what he's done is kick people off various programs or made it a lot more difficult for them to get the benefits that they otherwise should have gotten and and have been relying on. He then crows he's made great progress, and it strikes me that um, re- adding another. Review of disabled Social Security beneficiaries is adding more regulation. It's adding more administration. It's adding more bureaucracy. It's knocking it's, the purpose is to knock people off Social Security, and it has real impact on people's lives. As you say, people will die, and then he claims credit for um, for doing something good.
1: Well, uh, Congressman, you're, you've always been much more polite than I am. I would just say that when he made those statements at the State of the Union uh, last night, he lied. That's that's uh, completely contrary to what he's been doing. And just think about what the president said at his press conference in Davos, Switzerland, a couple of weeks ago when he admitted maybe he was off guard, maybe he thought nobody would pay attention, but he admitted that it will be uh, that, that this administration will look at re- reducing, cutting entitlement programs. That's what Social Security, I don't consider it an entitlement. It's an earned benefit, but that's what he calls it. And he thinks that's going to be pretty easy to do after the election. So uh, I think, uh, I think uh, if uh, President Trump is uh, reelected and has the allies that he has in the Congress who have never never uh, talked about uh, protecting the program. If they do, uh, they have a distorted view of what that term protection means. Uh, And I think we're in serious trouble if, uh, if we get to that point in January of next year.
0: Well... We'll do everything we can to make sure we have a change in administration. But, uh, Max, I also wanted to make sure we talked about another real nefarious scheme that the White House is considering and Republicans are working on. It's of interest to me. I'm planning to run for the New Hampshire State Senate and hope to be there to work on health care, to protect um, uh, Medicaid expansion and um, do whatever is necessary to make sure that every citizen in New Hampshire has the health care they need and access to and, and good health. But meanwhile, the administration and its cronies are talking about block-granting Medicaid. It seems like they want to attack the gains made in health insurance coverage and long-term care. What's going on?
1: Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the um, This administration... The Trump administration is proposing to block grant the Medicaid program. What does that mean? It means that states, if they uh, uh, seek uh, these uh, waivers, they instead of having the Medicaid program operated as it has, which pays for, among other things, long-term care, it's the only uh, uh, only vehicle for getting long-term care assistance. Uh, to nursing homes. And who's in a nursing home? Mostly older people, disabled. And and the change will involve getting a flat amount of money, and the states would decide um, how to spend it, and they would spend it any way they want. Here's an interesting wrinkle. I, I wasn't even aware of this. If they get a block grant and they don't spend all the money, they keep it. So there's an incentive uh, for states to uh, figure out ways to uh, cut the, the expenses for, uh, for Medicaid recipients, especially uh, nursing home long term care, and, and they'll come out financially ahead of this. Uh, they'll, they'll be ahead. So, uh, it, it, this is a bad idea. It was a bad idea at the times it's been proposed in the past. It's a backdoor way of uh, attacking the Medicaid program's ability to pay for long-term care or skilled nursing home care for uh, indigent seniors who can't take care of themselves. So, you know, one thing I think gets lost in all the discussions about Medicaid. You know, Paul, Medicaid, it's not the Medicaid program that pays for mostly for uh, uh, the long-term care, nursing home care of seniors. This isn't just for people that are, are poor. This is for people that became poor after having to use up all their assets to uh, pay for nursing home care. You know, I don't know how much it costs up there, but I think the average is $70,000, $90,000 a year for long-term care in a nursing home. How many people can afford that for even a year or a couple of years? And when you use up your assets, you spend down your uh, your assets, then you qualify Uh, for the Medicaid program, but it's a program for middle-class people who have gotten uh, into a nursing home, have spent down their assets, and yes, then they need trouble. It's not just for poor people.
0: Well, uh, it's good to know that you and the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare are on the watch and it uh, makes it all the more critical that everybody gets out and votes in November to make sure that the foundational security programs, the earned benefits and the help that people need are kept uh, because we're facing a great threat. We've been talking with Max Richmond who is the director of the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. Uh, on Off the record with Paul Hodes. Max, just before we go, what's the website of your committee?
1: It's uh, ncpssm.org. ncpssm.org. And, Paul, I hope uh, you're a member of the Senate up there and you can... Help make sure that right now, I think there's 185,000 residents of New Hampshire that receive health care through the Medicaid program, and uh, we need to make sure that is not shortchanged. And having you uh, serve in the Senate, I think, will in New Hampshire will go a long, long way towards protecting that program.
0: Well, that's Max Richmond of the National Committee to Preserve. Social Security and Medicare. Max, thanks for joining us. It's off the record on Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. We'll be back after a short break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL. AM and FM streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. Tiptoe through the past of all the fabulous shows of off the record politics, arts, culture, business, authors, you name it, we did it. And we're also now a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. So no matter where you are on planet Earth or traveling to the moon, you can use your 21st century personal digital devices and you can find us as a podcast. It's really terrific technology, expanding our audience so that my dozens of listeners can be joined <laughs> by dozens of other podcasters. And I'm very pleased to welcome to Off the Record, Vicki Sandon. Vicky is the director of the upcoming Concord Community Players show, The Odd Couple slash The Female Version. Vicki, welcome to Off the Record. Thank you for having me. You and I haven't met before. I'm always happy to have folks in from the players to talk about what the players are up to. I, When I first uh, moved to Concord, I came with some theater background. I was trained as an actor. I worked as an actor in New York um, and in other places. I worked as a director, a playwright, a producer. Uh, so I had some theater background. I came and uh, directed some shows for the community players also acted in shows way back when so i have a real fondness for everything the, the players do it's a it's a great organization um how did where did you come from <laughs> how would you get here and uh what's your background
2: um well i I came to Concord Community Players via friends who recommended, since I was directing in Nashua and Milford, I was already directing plays down there. They said, try going for the players. So I was able to get in a a play through the hat box approved by the players um, this past summer, which was Bakersfield Mist. And, um they were seemed very pleased with that, so now I'm directing my first main stage production with the players, which is the odd couple, the female version
0: well so. let's go way back, oh way back, yeah, like, so where way back machine yeah, like let let's let's learn a little bit about you where 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 were you born. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh-huh, I know yeah. I know about Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. My people were originally from Brooklyn, New York. I know all about oh, it.
2: Yeah, we love the Brooklyns. Yeah, yeah we got it's Brooklyn all the way. The um, Brooklyns. You yeah. know,
0: there's a presidential candidate, I think, from Brooklyn.
2: He is from Brooklyn, even though he's in Vermont. He okay. has never been able to shed his Brooklyn
0: accent. There's so much that I <laughs> could tell you about yep. where I'm from. The millionaires and the billionaires. I grew up with in Brooklyn if only they could see me now. But most of them are dead, so they can't see me now. Yep, that's him. That's you got him. him. You got him. him. I got him all yep, so uh, I, I don't look enough like Larry David to pass, but it sounds pretty no, good. But yeah, yeah no, that's so pretty good. Brooklyn, New York. And yeah. uh and 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 where was your love of theater born when you were a kid?
2: Um, I think so. I was I was the daughter of um, of a diplomat, so we traveled every two years between North America and, and South America because my parents were originally from Colombia, so completely bilingual. So I spent many years in South America, and for what it's worth, I fell in love with theater down there.
0: Really? <laughs>
2: yeah. And what,
0: what was it about theater in in South America?
2: Um, there was a lot of music incorporated with theater pieces. Uh, they did some American theater pieces. I went to an American school for most of the time. So um, I did a little bit of acting in high school. I did a lot of, um, then I went to college in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was some, somewhat involved with the theater program, but not too much. And then for grad school, I decided to give theater another try and went to study in London, um, for a few months and realized that i can't act to save my life, but I can tell people what to do, so I decided I would go on and become a director instead
0: <laughs> so talk to talk to us about that that, that I find that really interesting because there they, it's two entirely different disciplines yes. one one is one as an actor you need to be able to call call up emotions, incorporate those emotions, um, develop memories for your characters, be able to, to encap you know really and capture, capture the essence of who uh, someone is interpreting uh, what the playwright has written. And obviously a director is critically important in helping uh, in, in that process what was it about acting that you found um you couldn't do but that and 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 what was it about directing that you found a home in
2: um i have terrible stage fright um and I.
0: How are you doing now?
2: Not really well, but oh, really? I'm trying.
0: <laughs> does it, does it, listen, I have dozens of listeners. Okay, I, mean, I heard, and and they're really happy to to hear from you. So so you don't have you don't have to worry, okay. folks. Vicky's a little worried about how she's doing. She's doing great. Thanks. She's doing great. So so there's nothing to worry about. But that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I just every time I had to perform in front of anybody. Even my class, I would just seize up.
0: Right. Well, luckily, but, we're just having a conversation. Yeah, so we are. So, that's, so it's easier. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah, it's right. easier. There's not yeah. lots
2: of people looking at
0: me Uh huh. Right okay. So radio I do very well with. Oh, I right, think. right. Much better. I, and Well, I do, too. I have a face made for radio.
2: So. I know. I know. Some of us do. Yeah, right. so, so, yeah, not um, for the stage. Not you, it. necessarily, yeah. but me, for that, certain.
0: That's it. So, I'm too short, so, and my head's not big enough. <laughs>
2: so,
1: <Okay. laughs>
2: but, yeah, no, I liked, uh, I like... Collaborative creating and the exciting part for me about directing is getting down down and dirty with the script and the actors and finding a character that works for all of us that is still plays to their talents and also is able to uh, display what I want other people to see in this play that I find so moving or funny or whatever I'm a very visual person, so whenever I direct something there's lots of blocking there's lots of movement I credited to my attention deficit disorder, that I just do not like to be bored. So that helps. So once the creating is done, like right now we are in our last week of rehearsal and we're going into tech week, this is when I start to draw out because the puzzle is done. Right. It's what, done.
0: What a, you used the term blocking, and, yeah. and there are folks who probably don't know what blocking is.
2: Ah, that's... <laughs> To be, it, to, in its rawest form, it's where you tell an actor to stand and say their line. That is it in its simplest form. Right. But there's much more maneuvering and emotional manipulation that goes into that from a director's perspective. And getting to be in the actor's headspace is always fun
0: and challenging. Right. So what folks may not know is that or or really think about if, if a show works well, you never think about... Um, what's called the blocking, because you never think about where actors or actresses are moving and speaking, uh, and where they are on stage, and how they're turned, and because it all seems like a natural flow.
2: It is, and it's technically demanding on the actor, um, and a good actor will always know how to position their body and uh, project their voice to be in their character at All times realizing where the audience is, where their public is, what is the best angle in which to deliver this—I don't know—monologue or this dialogue or whatever—and it's up to me to tweak that and be the public for them when they are on stage and say, "No, you got to turn more this way. We can't see you over here from house right. So why don't you say that out to us because that's important." And it's—and I'm very fussy about it.
0: One of one of my favorite jokes always was um, the actor. Um, who is deep in his character and is really wrought about understanding the motivation of the character and wants to make sure that the method that the actor is applying is the proper method, as Stanislavski, the great Russian, taught the method of... Uh, incorporating all the emotions and everything you've created about the character. And the actor turns to the director and says, well, Vicki, what's my motivation for crossing the stage from stage left to stage right? And Vicki, the director, says, because I told you to. Pretty much. Right? I, mean, <laughs> I always
2: try to give some motivation. I try to find uh, pieces in the dialogue that will... Motivate that cross. There's always meaning behind movement, as far as I'm concerned.
0: One of the things that folks also don't know is that the director of a piece has a very uh, uh, big hand in deciding some of the technical details in terms of putting together... Uh, what does the set look like? What do the costumes look like? What's the what's the vision for the piece? What's the overarching frame that you're going to frame the piece in? I mean, are you going to change the time period? Are you going to change anything about the characters? What about the sound? What about the lights? And it's really up to the director to think through all those pieces and be the field marshal of the entire production.
2: Yeah, uh, it's really a more involved process than what I'm making it out to be. I'm just talking about the fun part of it, which is actually working directly with the actors and figuring out this puzzle of how we want this piece to look. Right. Um, But it does go once we are once we are on once we are in rehearsals. That's the last part of the puzzle. Before that, the pre-production of designing the set of where we're going to hang the lights of where what set pieces we're going to use has all pretty much been decided in advance by the time we get into rehearsals because the director needs to tell the actor, well, the table's going to be here and the couch is going to be here, so you need to be aware that there's a couch here. You can't walk through it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so those things have already been decided well in advance of the actors coming in and coming in and um, Doing the play
0: now. I took us on a frolic and detour because we left your life story in London. Oh, that's you, okay. <laughs> you had you had studied in London. Where yeah. where did you study?
2: Um, at the time, it was the London School of Acting. Um, it was associated with Regency Park. Mm-hmm. I was living in Regency Park in London College. Um, so my that's where I discovered I can't act because everybody here <laughs> in in England can act, and I certainly can't
0: act like wow. that. It's <laughs> really, it's really quite. Quite wonderful it to, is it to is. think about it was all lovely. the great actors that have come to us from Britain. Of course, they were. Yes. Yes. That's yes. a
2: very southern accent you have.
0: On I right know now. it's, it's a, from Suffolk. Yes, it, it is very oh, Suffolk. It is
2: London is much more clipped.
0: I understand. <laughs> My experience is really in the south. Oh, of Manchester. England, Manchester. So, so you came back to the United States after London?
2: Uh, yeah, I was there for. Five months, six months, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I did a, what they call an apprenticeship for what they, they put you they plunk you in a West End theater to basically get coffee and all that. So right. I, I I was at first lucky for maybe thirty six hours when I was assigned the musical that I got, and then pretty unlucky for the remaining four months yep. in that I worked stage right at
0: Cats. There you go. <laughs> so, That's enough. So when you trust came, me, when you came back, what did you do?
2: Um I did I went and studied theater over at the Goodspeed Opera House in Haddam, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and I was going towards my equity and stage management yep. at Goodspeed and also at um, Hartford Stage in Hartford, Connecticut.
0: My first serious girlfriend was a dancer at Goodspeed.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, they yes. have beautiful dancers that come from New York.
0: That's right. way yeah, ba- They way have ba- them well, live there. Way back when. Yeah, yep. Good
2: Speeds. It's still there. It is it's a great still place. There. It's a yeah. great launching pad for musicals. Sure. It's still, I mean, it launched Annie way back when. It did. Um, you yep.
0: know what? Let's take a short break now. Uh, we'll be back. I'm speaking with Vicki Sandon, who is directing the upcoming Concord Community Players show, The Odd Couple, female version. We're talking about her life, her work. We're talking about acting and directing, all subjects I really love to talk about. Uh, We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back after this. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your binge-listening pleasure. And we're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. So as you're traveling around the globe, don't forget, you can find us on the interwebs. We're talking with Vicki Sandon, who is the director of the Concord Community Players upcoming show, The Odd Couple Female Version. We're talking about her life in theater. And how she got to direct this show. And then we're going to be talking about the, a little bit about the show. So we ended our last segment, Vicki. You had studied in London. You'd come back. You were studying stage management and interning at the Goodspeed Opera House. A sensational incubator of great American musicals in East Haddam, Connecticut. Yep. And what happened after that?
2: Um, then I finished my 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 internship there and i went to uh i applied to be an asm an assistant stage manager at hartford stage which does mostly straight plays which is just not a musical Uh, straight plays are usually not musicals Uh so uh my biggest my biggest uh person that i had to work with the most famous one was sam waterston yeah he was he did um the cherry orchard back i think it was a cherry orchard uh, back then so that was that was fun and then I got married and had babies. Uh-huh. So I had <laughs> So we didn't do theater. I met my husband in the theater. I met him at the Goodspeed Opera House. And we're still married. And once our children started getting older, we decided that they needed to be introduced to theater. And so I gradually made my way back through school, their little school plays. And then um, there's this great Boys and Girls uh, theater wing in Milford. New Hampshire called the Amado Center for the Performing Arts. Right. So I started working there. And then I got to know all these wonderful people in the New Hampshire theater community, and here I am.
0: You know, way back when, um, at the dawn of the 21st century, Ooh. in the year 2000, I collaborated on a musical with a noted Monadnock um, area composer named Larry Siegel. And we wrote a, wrote a musical called "The People's House" about the New Hampshire Legislature, and uh, we collaborated for its production with what was then called the American Stage, Stage Festival. Festival. That's yep. right in uh, Milford. And it was,
2: that was an equi- That's the same house. It's, it was an equity
0: house. That's right. It was an equity house in Milford and Nashua. We workshopped uh, in Nashua. Okay. at the uh, what was then the AST yep. uh, a- ASF, ASF theater American Stage and Festival. we ended up producing the show at the Capital Center for the Arts in oh, Concord cool. for a Lort regional uh, equity 3-day production um it was a fascinating process uh Larry wrote the the music I wrote the book and um and lyrics we col- we collaborated on the lyrics and Um, It's really it actually is a show that that was a great show that had legs. But when I realized when we were done was that um, uh, it was really three shows that we had written and I needed to cut out a lot of it in order to make sure the through line was was clear and that I wasn't diverting. Um, diverting the main through line with uh, with with other with other stuff, and you really don't know until you get a production mm-hmm. up exactly what you've what well, what you've written. Yep. If you're if you're a playwright, you've got to see it. You've got to see it performed. Um, directors don't know, don't have that kind of luxury, no. uh, you know. In a show like this, um, uh, this is a pretty well traveled show. The Odd Couple.
2: It is. The Odd Couple itself. The, the classic one that we know was, um, I think, written by Neil Simon in 1965 and staged in the, I can't remember which theater it was, in Broadway. Went on to become a hit movie with, I think, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, who originated the role on stage. And then it went on to become a long-running TV series with, uh, I think, with Tony Randall playing the part of Felix Unger. Sure. And I can't remember who played Oscar Madison. In 1985, Simon... In, 1985, Simon um, rewrote, as it were, the play uh, for women. So now we have Olive Madison and Florence Unger. Still the same dynamics. One's incredibly neat. The other one's incredibly sloppy. It's still very, very fast-clipped New York humor.
1: Because mm-hmm. that's
2: what Simon did best. Right. He, uh, he certainly knew how to write funny lines. And we've got, it's just a hilarious play. And it's women. I mean, what's not to love?
0: That's it's great. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So who who are the actresses who are performing this two-person show?
2: Um, Ursula Bootwell from Guilford, uh, New Hampshire, is Olive Madison. And she's played the part before. And she's doing it again. And she's crushing it. Uh, Heather Jacques. Uh, I, she's from, I think she's from Hopkington. I'm sorry, Heather, I don't remember. Uh, and she's playing the part of Florence, and she's also played this part before, and she loves it, and of course she's crushing it. Rounding out the poker table, now it's Trivial Pursuit for Women, is, uh, I can't remember the names of my cast, I only know their first names, <laughs> is um, Ellen Berger, Nancy Rosen, Erin Reinhard, and Kendra Weston, I can't remember your last name, Kendra. <laughs> I'm sorry. She plays Mickey the Cop.
0: Uh-huh. Um, cast of, wait a second. I thought it was a two-person show. It's a cast no, of thousands. No,
2: no. It's the two ladies, and then it's the poker players, uh, the Trivial Pursuit ladies now, four of them. And then instead of the Pigeon Sisters, the British Pigeon Sisters who come downstairs and invade the uh, Oscar Madison's very, very night-tidy house now, it is now the two Spanish Costazuela brothers who speak in Betty Betty habish the Spanish accents, uh-huh. played by um, Matt McGonigal and Chris Demers.
0: So, uh, before we... They're get, very tall. Befo- they're very tall. Before we go further, tell us uh, when the show is, where it is, how people can get tickets, and... Uh, some of those details.
2: Yeah. Um, the play is being staged at the uh, City Auditorium in Concord on 2 Prince Street in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, February 14th and 15th at 730 and February 16th at 2 o'clock matinee.
0: So it's a Valentine's Day, present. It
2: is. It's a Valentine's and a Galentine's Day.
0: Right. Yes. That, that's That's a Valentine and a Galentine. A
2: Galentine's Day is fest- celebrated February 13th okay. when you celebrate your gals your well gal so it's a galentine's day
0: that's all it's all, it's all good <laughs> it's all good so um and and how do folks get tickets
2: you can get them online you can go to i believe the website is communityplayersofconcord.org the site's up and you can buy your tickets online or i believe all the information is on the website you can certainly call and purchase tickets through the phone so what are or the, show up at the box office on the night of the performance and buy tickets there
0: um Tell us about some of the challenges that you see in um, in 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 a show that was originally written for men and then rewritten by the playwright for women. What are, what are the changes? What what changes? How 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 much changed is it? It's pretty changed. I mean, he kept some of the lines from
2: the original classic Odd Couple, but a lot of it's changed in its emphasis. In that it was written in 1985 during a time when I think women were sort of coming into their own. So none of these women define themselves by their marriages or by, you know, they stay home or whatever. They're all professional and they all just have a good time. I think his dialogue for these women is as witty and acerbic as ever. He just captures the essence of these women and the scenes with the brothers. He that's it's just hilarious. But the dynamic is still there and the the emphasis on friendship is v- much more apparent with the women than it is with the men
0: yeah, so. it's, it seemed uh, to my recollection in the original show, the emphasis was not on the friendship but on the conflict.
2: It's much more violent the men's <laughs> the men's version is this one's a little more just it, it they get angry, but there's much more tenderness involved since it is women, so well, yeah
0: uh you know i mean the in in some ways and i don't mean to to be to to be to to accept necessary stereotypes but in my own experience about relationships i find often that um women do relationship in a, um, in, a in in a more constant way often yeah. than than men do yes. uh, so uh, forgive me if i'm if oh no, I'm it's fine. Stereotypical, but it seems to be to be a at least a characteristic that I've observed in my relationships uh, with my fabulous wife Pego and the way she handles relationships and the way yep. I do. She is constant. She's a m- much better communicator uh, than I am. She nurtures relationships in a way yeah. that just doesn't occur to me. It's as if our brains are mm-hmm. working in a very different way.
2: You'd think, yeah.
0: You know, you'd think.
2: One of the, the, one of the um, motives I handed the women, even though many of them had never worked together, and the two leads have never worked together before, I said, you guys have known each other for years, years, your characters. And so what I want to show is the camaraderie between women, which you don't see very often on stage. Right. So whatever you do when you get together with your girlfriends, whether it's go out to a bar or watch a movie or eat popcorn— I want you to bring that to the table. Hmm. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful to watch. You would never know that these people just met a month and a half ago.
0: And, and so what's the core conflict that they're dealing with? The way their, their lifestyles are, is still the core conflict?
2: Yes. Florence, I think now you would call her a little OCDC or whatever. What is it? Obsessive-compulsive disorder. OCD. Uh, right. Yeah. OC, that's ACDC. That's, uh-huh. a, that's a group. Um, OCD. She's very compulsive um, whereas Olive is, just doesn't care. All she worries about is reading and painting. She's an artist. She's a free spirit. And you it's hard to live with someone like that. She's messy. She's very, very messy. And creative. And she's very creative and whip-smart. And Florence is, too. But their lifestyles just don't mesh, and that's the core conflict right there. But they never stop caring for one another, I think. And just like in the male version, too, the two guys never stop caring for one
0: another. Right. Right, so right. yeah at, at the root of it one of the one of the brilliant brilliant things that Simon was able to capture was what was really going on beneath the conflict whether right. whether it's for the men or the women uh, who are playing the parts that underneath uh, the surface right. which is really funny and you look at it as a conflict about two personalities who should never be living with each other? How should somebody who cares so much about neatness be living with somebody who is so messy? But underneath it all, there's this well of affection and the constancy of the relationship.
2: And their arcs are are certainly there for Olive when she comes into her own and she realizes that she can do things on her own without her ex-husband, you know, wanting his attentions. And for Florence, just coming off of a divorce and realizes that she can be independent, Mm. that she can do this without her husband, and that she's got a whole new life waiting for her. And they they bring each other to that point.
0: So you've just um talk to us um about what you call the arc and in not for Mm -hmm. non-theater people the arc is what what the character the arc of the development of the characters from the beginning of the show through the show uh, to the end of the show and how hopefully it's resolved by the playwright and played uh, by the actors as expertly directed um uh, and in in good in good theater the arc is very is clear and yes. it's what the audience can can follow and you've just talked to us about that that journey that yes. a good play takes us through so i'm assuming as you've explained it that just as in the first show for men the 20-year-later version for women also captures that essential arc for each of the the characters. And
2: that's the brilliance of Simon is that he is able to delineate these arcs at times subtly and at times very clearly, um, and it makes it very exciting for an actor and somebody watching, a director trying to, you know, kind of form that to show that the character you see at the beginning is changed by the bottom of the play in a good way, especially in a comedy. It's always in a good way. Right. That's, that feels real and honest.
0: Yep. Well, Vicki Sandon, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We've been talking with Vicki Sandon, the very experienced <laughs> and smart director. Of The Odd Couple Female Version, the 1985 show written by the legendary Neil Simon, being performed by the Concord Community Players. And, Vicki, just before we go, please tell us again where, when, and how to get tickets.
2: Okay, the show uh, goes up Valentine's Day, Friday, February 14th. Uh, it plays Friday, February 14th, Saturday... February 15th at 7.30 and Sunday the 16th at 2 o'clock at the Concord City Auditorium on 2 Prince Street in Concord, New Hampshire. You can get tickets and more information by going to communityplayersofconcord.org.
0: This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back to wrap up after this. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your binge-listening pleasure. And we are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. Don't forget, you can find us on your computers and personal digital devices. In the beginning of our show, we talked with Max Richmond from the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare about the challenges being posed to those two important programs by the current administration, which, according to Max and according to me, is lying about their intentions. Um, the president has claimed that he wants to uh, protect Social Security, but his uh, administration is looking for ways to cut the legs out from it. And now the Administration is trying to block grant Medicaid, which would uh, endanger uh, the Medicaid pro the Medicaid program. And in Medicare, we know that uh, from what the president has said off the mic in Davos, he's out for that program as well. Folks, be wary. You got to vote in November. We need to save some of these important programs. And then we had a great conversation with Vicky Sandin, who is the director of the upcoming Concord Community Players show, The Odd Couple, female version, at the City Audi on February 14, 15, and 16. The first two are evening shows, then a matinee. You can get your tickets at the Concord Community Players website. It promises to be a great show. And Vicki was a great guest, really smart, experienced, and we had a fun conversation about how to make Theater. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the sponsors of this great station. We'll see you next week for more off the record.